You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Kate Campbell, welcome to this episode of the Australian Fine Arts Podcast. Fine Arts Podcast. Fine well, Arts. We're talking about moats today, medieval, fine arts. I don't know if there's a connection there. <laughs> no, it could be. We never know. No, I've been joking and saying finance on the podcast lately. Yeah. Just to see if anyone picks up on it. Um, yeah. <laughs> you could pronounce it as finance. I say- Well, you could. I mean, and you chose to do so, but yeah, whether we should, fine, I do not Fine know. arts. But anyway, today we're talking about investment moats, which is a topic that Owen has enjoyed talking about a lot and I've heard a lot about in the office. So I thought we'd get Owen on air today to actually break down what an investable moat is, mm. why it's good for companies to have a moat, how you can find- a moat yourself and discover if a company does have one. Mm. And what does it mean to you as an investor? Mm. Moats. Yes. We're going we're gonna to dive deep into these moats. Hopefully we Is don't find too many alligators. Words? Yes. Uh, Kate, you've done a lot of research. What's a moat? Yes. So throwing back to the good old medieval days where we had a castle with a ring of water around it, it was a way to defend yourself from your enemy. Maybe mm. you put some alligators in the moat as well. And so we're talking about moats in, in the investment context today because as a company, we want to defend ourselves from competitors. So what do we have that makes us different to everybody else that makes us stand apart and mm. protects us and our products and our services from getting eroded by another business? Wonderful. Good explanation. Is that the non-finance explanation? I that is No, that's really good. Um, yeah. So just a quick side note. I was going to do this at the end, but I might do it now. We get a lot of questions on this podcast about, oh, I want to learn more about investing like individual shares and doing valuations and those types of things. We have a whole separate podcast committed to this type of stuff. So we're going to push it this episode a little bit higher in terms of where we go into the details. But um, in the show notes, there's a free resource and it's called the Investor Bootcamp. 
That comes from our investors podcast. It's a free Google Doc and it's got all the episodes in there. It's got my favorite books if you want to become an investor, my favorite YouTube videos, my favorite podcast episodes, every single thing that you will need if you want to start investing in individual shares and you want to do the research yourself. We've also got our course, which is paid, the Value Investor Program with Equity Mates. But I just want to insert that now because if you think that, you know, you want to go to the next level and we're not taking you there often enough, that is definitely where you need to go. Yeah, the Australian Investors Podcast. Yes, and you'll find links in the show notes. Okay, okay. So you summarized a moat as being the ring of water around a castle. Yes. And this idea was popularized by Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Classic. Take a shot every time that we have Charlie Munger or Warren Buffett brought up on the show, which is going to be a lot in this episode. Um, Lucky we've only got Axel Coffee. I feel like you need to expand- the people you include in the show like there's other people but buffett in the world yeah but like i don't know you know how many gods are there you know there's living (laughs) gods anyway so the idea is that you can take the analogy of a castle and a moat and apply that to a company being like a company's business model and the way it makes money is the castle and then its defensive features which then protect the castle is the moat so easiest way to think about it is to look at examples. The most obvious example is Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is just sugar and soda water, but you pay four bucks for it, depending on where you go. It's just sugar and soda water. McDonald's is just crappy beef and wheat, but you pay $8 for a Big Mac. Apple iPhone is easily replaced with a $100 Android for most things. As Kate looks over to Monique, who's an Android user. Um, but we pay $2,500 for an Apple iPhone. Tiffany's, which I know is the example that you were going to bring up. You, the diamonds from Tiffany's, fellas, listen up, ain't that good. The, the diamonds that you get from Tiffany's aren't that good. But they sell it at a super premium because it's got a Tiffany's stamp on it. Yeah. So the joke is that you can, you know, I think Pat Dawson uses this one, but the joke is that you can buy a $5,000 diamond for 20 grand from Tiffany's because you get a $15,000 box. Yeah. I was talking to Monique off air. It's, it's just silver and you can get this same silver product maybe from Swarovski for $100, which sells at Tiffany's for $1,000, but you don't get the beautiful blue box. That's it. And that's the difference. So that has a brand moat around it. Yeah. That's its competitive advantage, just like all of these businesses. Actually, Coca-Cola, people think that it's Coca-Cola's brand, which it is, but it's actually its distribution network, which make it so powerful. Mm. Um, Telstra overall sucks, but we use it and we pay more for it because it's got a good network. So it has a better network. That is its competitive advantage. And so you can see that different brands, different businesses have advantages over their peers for some things that can't be like quantified in like a spreadsheet, you can't see it in the numbers straight away. You have to kind of imagine it, right? And this, I'll, I'll have heaps of examples throughout this episode to really illustrate the point. But if you are someone who wants to buy individual shares and you want to be a long-term investor, you have to look for this thing. There's like, this is like on Charlie Munger's list, he's only got four things that he looks for. And this is the, I think it's the number one thing. So you have to look for these businesses. 
to give you an idea, I was looking at the Home Depot, which is America's Bunnings, last night. Since it hit the stock market up until now, just according to Google Finance, which doesn't include dividends and all that, it's up 322,000%. Wow. Um, and the reason is that it built a reputation for customer service, for the best brands, for distribution. And that business is still growing really fast today. And that only is possible because it has a competitive advantage. A business, most businesses don't last five or 10 years, let alone one that can go for so long and keep growing. Because a moat, what a moat does is it means that if you think like an army attacking a castle, it basically means that the castle won't be brought down. Um, Now, of course, it can happen. A lot of companies say they have a moat. Most companies will say they have a moat, but they don't, like a true moat. So Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger call it a durable moat, something that can stand the test of time. They own Apple shares, by the way, and they own Coca-Cola shares. Um, And that is ultimately what we're looking for. The moat itself is just a defensive feature. The castle which is what's inside, is the bit that has to be good. Mm. So you can have a company that's really defensive, but if it can't grow, yeah. then there's really like no point to investing in it. Yeah, you want the company to be actually doing something while it's got that moat going around it. Yeah, and so maybe like a good example would be property, you know, location, location, location. You can buy a great property in the right location, but itself doesn't actually create a lot of value. Whereas a company, you can get something that has the moat, it has the defensive feature that you want, but it also grows. And that's what makes them so special. So it basically keeps competitors out. And there aren't many of these companies. So yeah, I think like that's just an introduction to what a moat is yeah. and happy to go from there, Kate. Yeah, I think it's I think we should talk about why they matter. And then we also should talk about some examples and how to find them and then look at how they apply to real companies. Yep. Okay. So the way we value companies as investors, the value of a company, typically the way we do it is we calculate, you've probably heard this before, we calculate the cash flow that a business can generate. If it can generate more cash than it consumes, that means it's positive cash flow, right? We have a different word for that in finance, we call it free cash flow. So when a company has more cash, it's generating cash flows because it's doing something and it gets free cash flow. We tend to take the value of that cash flow and we put a value on the business. Now, this is important to understand. When we do this valuation, we're not valuing that cash flow as it's coming back to you like a dividend. We're not valuing that. We're valuing that the business itself generates. So the best analogy for this is imagine, Kate, we're sitting in a round table here. It's a white table for those of you that aren't watching. Imagine I slide a box across the table and this box is a company, right? So I'm just sliding this box across the table to you and I say, put $100 in this box. You put $100 in and then you come back a year later and there's $140 in there. That means the business, aka the box, has generated 40% on the $100 that you put in. We call that return on capital. So there's $100 of capital in there, and then it adds another 40. Now let's say it does it again the following year. Then all of a sudden you go from 140 to $196 inside the box. So you can see that if you can find a box that can do that, even though you're not receiving money because your money's still inside the box, the value of your investment is going, going to go up, right? 
And so this is basically what we're trying to do. We're trying to find companies, aka boxes, where they can grow at really fast rates. Now, a lot of people don't understand the distinction between this is the company growing versus this is my share price going up. Yeah. Your share price can still fall, but the company can still grow. And that is the key distinction. Like if you look at McDonald's or Apple or Microsoft or any of these businesses that have these competitive advantages, there are times when the share price falls. Like Microsoft shares fell for 13 years, I think it was, before it recovered. Wow. But in that time, it was still growing, right? It's because internally it's growing, but it's not giving you that money back. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to find these companies. Now, the key thing is that a lot of the times what happens, like if you think of a cafe, a cafe as a business, if it's a box, this box analogy, you might put $100 in and then next year you might make 8%. So it might go to $108, which is still $8. It's still pretty good. But then what will happen is a box will appear just beside it and it'll go, oh, those guys made $8. We'll put our cafe next door yeah. and we're going to do one of those. And there's no nothing stopping people from switching from one box to the other. So they just go next door. What we try to find with the companies is we try to find the companies that can stay relevant and can't be intimidated by their competitors. Yeah. And even looking in your real life, what are those companies or brands you keep going back to every single year? Either Whether it's your neighborhood coffee shop that you go back to that same one every single time, regardless of how many open up nearby, mm. or it's the same place you go and get your phone from Apple every single year or every two years, or you go and get your groceries from the same place. Even thinking about why you do that, mm. that could be a good starting place here to make it less abstract and bring it back to your life of why do you actually go back to that? Is it the brand? Do you care about the brand? Do you care about the staff? Do they provide a service that another company doesn't? Do they provide a special warranty that someone else doesn't? Like what makes you go back every time? Exactly. Now, there's a very important distinction that we have to make here, which is that the reason that companies are great investments, right, is because a company can grow far quicker than you can as an individual. So it can take your money and it can grow. And the reason that that happens is that a company itself can employ multiple people, can use technology, can own buildings, can start businesses. A company itself can do that. Can scale a lot more than you can as an individual. Exactly. And so you can own something that might employ 100 people or you could just try and work for a salary. Now, that's why capitalism works, because when people get together and they form these tribes or companies, they come together and they solve a problem. That is when value is created for society. Now, the thing that happens here, though, is with these companies, what happens, and this is where we need to understand the difference, is that a great company as an investment, as opposed to just a great brand, a great company as an investment is a company that can keep some of the value that it creates. Mm. I'll give you an example. Facebook created enormous value for its users, connecting families, friends, advertisers, everything. But over time, Facebook took more and more and more of the value by putting more ads in your feed, by making it more expensive for advertisers, putting more and more stuff into its business model that wasn't kind of like the original Facebook. And over time, people went elsewhere. Right? So that's an example of a moat that was slowly declining. Like the, the moat around the castle was getting narrower. The water was slowly draining out of it. 
because they were pushing it too far. And then the competitors popped up next door. But the thing that made Facebook, for a time, the greatest company ever to live was that it extracted so much value from the value that it was creating, which was also exponential. So a lot of companies, like I'll give you an example. This is something that was brought up last night on uh, the live show that I did. Someone asked me with Wes Farmers. Wes Farmers is the owner of Kmart, Officeworks, and Bunnings. Someone said to me, is Kmart a good business? Because there's people, like there's heaps of competitors, Big W, there's Target, which they also own, a bunch of others, right? And I said, no. Kmart is great for consumers. Like we go in, we can look at like cushions or throws or pots and pans or clothing. Very cheap. And as consumers, it's a fantastic business. But Kmart itself doesn't keep a lot of the value. Mm. It gives that back to consumers because it can't. Because if it increased prices, for example, you would just go down the road. It wouldn't be Kmart. It wouldn't be Kmart, exactly. Now let's switch gears and look at Bunnings. Bunnings is the only one in this industry, really. It's the only one where you can go and you can get everything. That means that it has the best brands, the most affordable prices, and it has a control over the market. So it can charge a lot more. So if it increases prices even 1%, there's nothing anyone can do about it. And so that is a business with a moat, whereas Kmart isn't. Both of them are fantastic retailers, but one of them keeps value and one of them gives the value back. Now, as companies, the hardest thing to know, well, you have to find a bank balance, sorry, find a moat that can support this, but then what you have to do is you then have to draw a line where how much value am I going to extract from the consumer? And this is basic economics, basically. We have to determine what is sustainable to pull out. And some companies just destroy their brand because they just go for like, all the money and they lose it. Uh, other companies do a really good job of a very, having that brand stick around or the company's uh, customers stick around. But I guess in summary here, Kate, the reason that these moats matter is the the companies can create more value than an individual can. I'll give you an example, which I looked up this morning. The iPhone 6 had 9.8 million lines of code in it. And if you included all the comments in the code, it has about 12 million lines of code. That might sound like gibberish to you, but at the end of the day, what it means is that if you were to sit down and you were a software engineer to try and write 9.6 million lines of code and to make all the code work and to test it in all environments it would take you more than a lifetime. But if you get these talented people together to create a company that then you can own, that is a fantastic thing. And it can keep doing that because of its iOS ecosystem. You keep extracting value. Yeah. That is why a moat matters. Mm. That's interesting. Have you ever thought about a moat in terms of an individual? It probably could, yeah. So you would have, um, you know, the saying, you can have a brand moat. So we'll get to the different types of moat in just a second, but you can have a brand moat. That's really important. And individual people can have these as well. Yeah, because I'm just thinking if I spend every dollar I earn, I'm not growing my value in monetary dollars as an individual. Whereas if I only spend 60% of what I get from my paycheck and I invest 40%, then I'm growing my overall net worth. And so I'm reinvesting money back in and maybe I'm investing in my career. So overall, it becomes more valuable. Yeah, you become more valuable as a person. Yeah, for sure. Um, Absolutely. I think where this tends to happen and where it's really prominent is in small micro businesses. So 
you know, consultants are really good at this. They have a brand and that's their competitive advantage. Yeah. They have expertise and they're sought after and people are willing to pay two, $3,000 a day to have them come and talk to them about some topic. That's an example of a small micro-sized business having a competitive advantage. Whether or not that's durable is a different question. For example, that person then goes on a tirade on Instagram about insert inappropriate comments, um, they lose their brand. Mm. So then that moat that they thought they had is has vanished, has disappeared. So that's something that, yeah, it can apply, but it's important to be mindful of. Basically, the true test of a moat, right? And this is what it, this can apply to that. The true test of the moat is can you increase prices for whatever thing you're selling, whether it's your consulting, whether it's your small business, whatever, can you increase prices and not lose customers? A lot of businesses can increase prices for sure, but they'll lose customers. Yeah. So some companies have an ability to do this extremely well over long periods of time. A good example is SAP, the software company that so many people know because it does all that old software that everyone's like, oh, damn this software, but they can't give it up. Yeah. They've increased, they typically increase prices around between 5 and 10% every year. You know how many customers they lose every year? About 1% of customers. So if you think about that, you increase 8%, but you decrease 1%. You could just keep doing that. And that's what they've been doing for like years, yeah. decades. And that's why their stock price keeps going up because they keep making more money. Yeah. Um, and they do it for basically no cost. Like you can just increase prices again and again and again. Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we look at some of the main types of moats then so people can start thinking about this overall framework and how to identify them. Yeah. So according to Morningstar's definition, there's a fantastic video um, which we'll include in the show notes. According to Morningstar's definition of this, there are basically five ways to do it. You've got switching costs, which is the difficulty for a customer to switch to a competitor. Obviously, if you can keep more customers, it's good. A network effect. A network effect occurs when one customer goes onto a platform, imagine Facebook, and then that makes it more valuable for the next person to go on. And it becomes like this fireworks on fireworks on fireworks. Like, have you ever seen those fireworks that shoot up in the air and they go poof and they break up and then they break up again? Yeah. That's kind of like what happens with network effects. It goes up, one customer joins, poof, there's a network. And then poof, all of those people come to the platform and it just keeps growing. It's like exponential. And that's what we call a network effect. It doesn't have to just be with um, like a social media platform. It can be anything like Visa and MasterCard. Because Visa and MasterCard were accepted more places than anywhere else, then the next person who started a business had to accept Visa and MasterCard. Mm. And then that self-fulfilled. And then the next, we saw this with Afterpay here in Australia. One retailer had it, all retailers had to have it. Mm. Because all retailers had to have it, every um, customer had to have it, and so on and so forth. Um, intangible assets, we mentioned Tiffany's brand. Um, Intangible assets can mean anything. Like if you have 50,000 people on your mailing list for your business, that's an intangible asset. Yep. And you can use that to market to people. So that's, a, that's an example. Brand is one of those things. Um, the purpose of brand is to... It's a bit more complicated these days thanks to like Amazon and Google. But the purpose of a brand is to lower what we call search cost. So if you go to Woolies and you look at the different versions of baked beans, you might eat Heinz or you might eat SPC. You may, if you're a super budget conscious, you might go with the home brand, you know, whatever. 
Um, but if you are loyal to a brand, you're going to recognize that brand and you're going to go, that one, without even thinking about it. You don't even look at the other one. I want Heinz. Yeah. I used to be like this as a kid. Like with the tomato sauce, Heinz tomato sauce. I've yeah. been buying the same tomato sauce for my whole life. Yeah, exactly. And, and that wouldn't change. That's what you're going to go with. The risk right? of having an unpleasant tomato sauce experience is just too high to warrant changing, regardless of the price. Yeah. The problem is we're actually seeing that that kind of, I guess, way of picking companies change. Yeah. And brands because basically now you can trust Amazon with its reviews. You can trust Google reviews. Yeah. So you, the actual risk of you making a mistake with the product that you purchase is very low. Yeah. Whereas in the there's past- There's 100,000 reviews that are on average 4.5 stars. Yeah. You're going to- Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. I'm going to invest the next two hours in this Netflix movie. I'm going to Google it on Rotten Tomatoes and I'm going to see, oh, it's got 20%. Holy shit, I'm running the gauntlet on yeah. this one. Like if it gets 90%, you're like, whoa, okay. Now we're talking. I'm going to invest. And so that intangible asset of brand has changed a bit. Yeah. Just the way that we find – it wasn't because the brands have changed. It's because the way we find things these days is mm. changing. So that's important to understand too. The second thing is – our cost advantage. Uh, um, Fortescue Metals Group, which we've profiled on the show, can dig up one ton of iron ore for around about $16 a ton. Now, if you and I were to go to the Pilbara and try and dig up a ton of iron ore, it would cost us a lot more than $16 because we'd be over there with shovels, wheelbarrows, and it would probably take us a few days and we'd be struggling to get that thing Digging up, a real deep then hole. take it 150 kilometers to the port, put it on a ship and take it to China. Like it would take, it would, it'd be so much harder. That's yeah. an extreme example. But there are some companies that have cost advantages. I mentioned um, Coca-Cola. There's only Coca-Cola and Pepsi really. There's a vast array of brands around those. But if you go to Japan, for example, basically everything is owned by one of the big brands because they've conquered the distribution. They can do it cheaper than anyone else. Yeah. Um, and we see this with miners in Australia. Australia's got some of the biggest miners in the world. But what is also a strategic advantage for Australian miners like Rio Tinto, BHP, Fortescue, Newcrest Mining, uh, even Woodside in oil and gas, what actually people underestimate is in Australia, we pay people in Australian dollars. And that's worth less than US dollars, which is the currency that we sell our commodities in. Mm. So our cost advantage as a country is superb. And that is why our country does very well from our resources sector. It's one of the reasons, because we're very sophisticated in how we do it, but it gives you an idea. Um, And the final one is related to this one, which is efficient scale. Some businesses are the best in their industry and they will never grow outside of it, but they are the right size. Have you ever heard of WD-40? Nope. Monique, have you heard of WD-40? That's the spray thing. You can spray on things and it's got a thousand uses. It says it's got a thousand uses. It's like a grease aerosol. What do you use it for? You put it on anything mechanical related, your door hinges to stop them squeaking, your taps... Anything like this, right? This company, WD-40, is an absolute unbelievable performer in terms of stock market returns. But does it do anything else? No. It doesn't do anything. It does the one thing, (laughs) right? And it's amazing at it. And that's an example of it's got its market and it has reached its efficient scale. Now, if 
this is a thing that we see a lot. We see like people designing software and then people being like, yeah, but Apple could just do that, right? And it's like a small software company. It's like $30 million. And you're like, yeah, but Apple is like a trillion dollar company. Why would they care about this tiny little industry over here? Yeah. This one's already at efficient scale. So that's where you can still make money from those companies just by understanding the industry as well. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. So those are the five different kind of moats. Yes. Okay. So we've got those five moats here. How do we actually find them? Yeah. So this is where, this is where, and we've got a table. We can include this in the um, show notes. This actually comes from the Value Investor Program, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. Yes. Um, (laughs) I stole it from something you did. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm pretty sure if you enroll in the Value Investor Program, um, you'll see this uh, and you'll also see all the videos that I talk about when we go over this. Uh, I won't go through them all because there's too many different things that we look at. But um, Tell me the most interesting ones. Okay. Well, I'll mention something that I haven't mentioned so far. So I go optionality. So optionality, this is, these, are, these are ways that we can try and identify these wide, what we call wide moat, like strong businesses in the wild. So optionality is really interesting and it plays on uh, what I mentioned before about Facebook. Surprisingly, despite having 3.55 billion people use these apps, people still don't know that Facebook also owns WhatsApp and also owns Instagram. I remember people being like, hashtag delete Facebook, everyone join me on WhatsApp. And I'm like, dude, it's the same thing. (laughs) You're going to the same company. Like, what are you going to do? Like, honestly, um, thank God for TikTok and Chinese development. Um, But Facebook had this super strong business, as I mentioned before, and was squeezing, squeezing, squeezing and getting more money from its platform. Like an unbelievable business. But what it did is it took, and I think it was around about, I could be wrong, it's off the top of my head, about $19 billion that it had saved and it bought WhatsApp because it was like, people are using this messaging platform. They might use that instead of WhatsApp. I uh, might use that instead of Messenger or Facebook. We'll buy them. This is borderline anti-competitive, but that's what they did. And then they're like, oh, Images are the new thing. We need an imaging service. Can't build it ourselves. Let's buy Instagram for a billion dollars. That business alone would be worth $300 billion today probably. Um, And then the most recent thing is, then they're like, holy crap, this metaverse thing is going to be massive. We're going to need to put $10 billion every year for the next 10 years just to make it a reality. Wow. Is that just play on words? I didn't Whoa. Um, so that's an example of a business that did one thing and it had the financial flexibility. So what we're looking for here is companies that aren't bogged down with debt, yeah. being able to pivot and be like, we see this thing happening over here. We need to grow in that area. We are going to grow over there. And a lot of people don't realize what's happening until it already shows up in the financials. Now, every business says, like, we're growing here. We're going to grow there. If it doesn't have a track record, if the management team haven't bought in, all the usual caveats apply. This isn't like one thing and it works perfectly. Yeah, the moat doesn't override yeah. having actually a good company. Most studies show that a company that has a, a, a wide moat business, like a strong business, which then invests in other businesses, tends to fail. Mm. Um, but I give another example is realestate.com.au. That's on the ASX under the ticker symbol REA, I think. Um, this owns realestate.com.au it owns property.com.au it owns all these bloody every basically every property website in Australia traces back to real estate or to domain yeah 
Anyway, they knew that they have this massive audience where real estate agents would pay them to list their clients' properties. They recently bought Mortgage Choice, which is a leading mortgage broker, because they realized that, hold on a second, all these mortgage brokers, once they once people find a house, all these mortgage brokers are making so much money by arranging their credit. We'll buy them and we'll expand. So now we've got inside of our business, we've got the world, uh, the Australia's biggest audience for property. Now we're going to take that and we're going to build something and grow something off to the side. And that's an example of optionality. It has the option to grow over there. Yeah. So when I do valuations on companies like Google, I look at the, the main business, which is search engines, and then I go, okay, how much is that worth? Then what do we get for free? All this other stuff like self-driving Waymo cars and um, all of the different kind of like biotechnology businesses, the venture capital businesses, they're too hard for me to value. So I just stick with the main business and I go, let's get all that for free. And that's like free optionality. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll do one more. Yeah. Because there's like 10 here and you can just go into the notes. Yeah, we'll, we'll put all the rest of it. I, you have done quite a lot of work. So we'll put that in the show notes if people are interested on this topic. Yeah. Here's a company that I only got introduced to two days ago. Um, and I only found this company. Well, I knew it existed. And I always thought this would be really cool to research. And finally, I did it. There's Otis Elevators. So um, there's Otis, Kone, Schindler, and Dyson Krupp or something. I can't pronounce it very well. But there's basically four big elevator providers in the world. Over 2 billion people ride on an elevator escalator from Otis every day. Right? It's huge. Now, what happens with an escalator, by the way, I found out it's 50 grand to put one in your house if you're interested. Um, not an Otis, but just some whatever, um, whatever brand. Uh, and that's a good point, actually. There are cheaper versions of Otis. But if you're going to go up a skyscraper to level 50, do you want the cheapest thing to take you up there? <laughs> I already get freaked. I don't know. Do, do you get freaked out in one of those? Yeah, I refuse to work in offices that are over like four or five stories high. Risk management. Yes. Yeah. It's it's freaky, right? Like it's you, you're in this thing and you're trusting it with your life. Yeah. And you hear like the one in a gazillion where it's like, elevator falls. Sorry to break it to you if you're getting an elevator every day. Um, doesn't happen that often. <laughs> um, but they break down they on break a down. fairly regular basis. Yeah. So you go with one of the trusted brands. You don't go with the cheapest one, you know, that's coming out of Asia. You just, you get the brands that you know work. Yeah, because those huge buildings are completely unusable if the, the lifts aren't working because people yeah. aren't work, walking up 50 flights of stairs. And this is what we call mission critical. Yeah. Now, the mission here is to get people to live in the apartment building or the office, right? It's critical because if this goes down, as you said, no one is taking 50 flights of stairs, I tell you what. Like, it ain't happening. What about the people that are in a wheelchair and all these different things? I've walked down 39 flights of st stairs before and it was not a fun time. Yeah. Well, there you go. Fun fact, Otis elevators are in the Eiffel Tower. Oh, well, there you go. You're old haunt. <laughs> um, so, Otis installs these elevators. Even though they're not the cheapest, they win a lot of the new work. Yeah. Um, even in China, where... They are most budget conscious, the builders and the property developers over there. 60% of all new elevator installations go to the big four providers. But what happens is Otis and most of these elevator businesses make most of their money from the maintenance. So in terms of 
this business growing outside of its um, like growing outside of its core competency, this is really easy. So this is what we call reinvestment potential. So remember before, Kate, how I said that like you have the box I slide it across the table, you get $40, like the thing compounds at 40%, it's growing inside. That's what we call return on invested capital, the capital that's invested by the company. Sometimes companies can discover something and reinvest at higher rates. And so Otis, which has installed these elevators and has been doing it for over 100 years, it is now saying we've got 2.1 million elevators that we service, right? That's... 2.1 million, but we've installed a lot more than that, meaning that we've lost some of the maintenance contracts. Yeah. So now they're saying every new Otis elevator is going to be a connected elevator mm. where it's got software that goes along with it and it will allow us to service the elevator cheaper, right? But you have to stick with us. You have to stick to with us. these services. And then they get the old elevators and they say, we can upgrade your elevator, Right. And so they don't need to install it again, which is costly. They just install the new materials. Yeah. So they're making money on the sale of the elevators and also the ongoing for decades to come maintenance of the elevators. Exactly. So in time, the idea is that they begin to get a higher return on capital because they don't have to install new elevators to grow. They just need to service the older ones and put this new software in it, which is a lot cheaper than putting new ones in. So they continue to do this. And that's when we see a company grow faster yeah. than it has in the past. And so a lot of people miss that unless they're really looking at the financials and understanding. And for most businesses, this isn't like clear cut. There's not like a, you're just at your computer and you're typing away looking at this company and then all of a sudden a light just appears and it goes, bing, like here's the answer. Like yeah. sometimes you have to take it on faith that what the management team is saying is actually going to happen. And the best way to do that is to understand what the business has done and what they've done historically. Like all of these lithium stocks and cannabis companies and all that sort of like trendy stuff, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about actual businesses here. Yeah. yeah. So if we've found a company that we're really interested in, we've researched most of it, we know who's running it, we've had a look at the financials, how do we figure out if it does have a defensible moat or not? So rather than go through it all, we'll link yeah. it in the show notes. Maybe a thing- give me a- few key takeaways. Yeah, okay. So basically what we do is we look at a business and think of a business like standing in the middle of the room and then it's a square room and then in all four of the corners, there is a different threat that could come into the middle of the business and into the room and snatch that business away. And these are what we call the different forces on this company. And this is a a well-established way of understanding businesses and it's how I do it and it's um, called Porter's Five Forces. Five, there's one in the middle being um, a bit different but there's basically four corners and one of them is what do the customers have in terms of their power? Can they drive down your prices? Can someone come in and go, I know it says $50 on the on the ticket, I'll give you 40 and you're like, okay, I have to accept it. Then there's the other one. Can a customer in the other corner substitute your product? So can you go from Apple to Android? Yes, you can, but it's pretty difficult. In the other corner, there's the suppliers. And this is where a lot of new investors get caught out because they're like, ah, really good brand. And then they're like, hold on a second. Why isn't it making profits? Because the suppliers, the companies that provide them with their widgets are the stronger companies. And the supplier keeps hiking up the prices and they can't switch to another. 
I think that happens a lot with different parts for manufacturing and electronics when there's only one or two suppliers. Yeah, like airlines are a good example, right? Mm. Every single product that goes into a Boeing or an Airbus has to be approved down to like the smallest screw. Right? And what tends to happen is there's only one supplier or two suppliers and they're basically who's ever closest to the airport, right? That's who gets the business. Yeah. So the, the, the plane company like Qantas or whoever doesn't have a say. They just have to cop it sweet, to be honest. And that is therefore power to the supplier. So we're trying to find out who's got the power here. Yeah. Um, the final one is new competitors. In any industry, it can change. We've heard of disruptors before that phrase. You know, what can change? And most of the time, any business can be replicated. Any business. It's about how long does it take. Mm. So like Amazon has said this for years, our only competitive advantage is time. We are just a couple of years ahead of our competitors doing the same thing. We just figured it out first and we do it. And so, you know, that's that's kind of how we think about it. Those those different forces, the four corners, um, is a, it's called Porter's Five Forces, but you'll see it. And there's a bunch of questions that we have in the, the course where it prompts you to actually ask these questions of yourself. And by doing that, you establish the power plays. I'll give you one final example, Kate. You didn't ask for it, but PayPal, right? PayPal is a tremendous business, wonderful business. It does payments for businesses and for individuals. It owns Venmo in the United States, which is like instant peer-to-peer payments. The thing is, PayPal runs on Visa and MasterCard networks, right? And Visa and MasterCard, if you don't play with them, you don't play with anyone. They are the only ones that have a right to play all the time. And so if you think about that dynamic, PayPal relies on Visa and MasterCard, not the other way around. So if Visa or MasterCard push up their prices, PayPal has a choice. I push up my prices and risk losing customers or I take the hit and my profit margins go down. And at any one time in any industry, you need to identify who has the power. And what you find is that, you know, particularly in the internet era, not so much um, with industrial businesses, but in technology companies, a lot of the power rests with a few names. That's why they're so big. Mm. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. No, I think that's a good way. And we'll put that image with the the five forces analysis in the show notes because it's a good diagram. So if you have a company that you're researching and interested in, trying to work through each of these different forces on the company to actually really understand the whole picture and whether it's, if it has a moat that's going to be defensible for years to come. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's great. And some of the businesses, like, you're not going to get them all right. Even if you follow this process, you're not, there's no way. You might understand the world better, but you're not going to get them all correct. And that's okay. That's know? investing. Yeah, that, that's investing. <laughs> there we go. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, cool. All right. Is there anything else we need to talk about moats for this quick overview or they're the main points? Um, what I would say is it's basically a two-step process. So first of all, we're looking for castles. The castles are the most obvious thing. You can see them from ages away. These are the products and services you know and use every day. Um, laptop, the uh, uh, MacBook here in front of me. Um, you know, Google search, uh, you know, all of these businesses around us, right? Um, Kmart products, all of these businesses around us. This is your first point of call. Look at them. Which products do you use? That's the first thing. But that does not make it a good investment. The second step is then, is it a good business? Yeah. And then you go in and you look at, okay, is it profitable? Does it have a ring around it? And has it been doing Can they increase time? their prices? Yeah. 
just and that's probably a good filter. Like if you look at coffee, right? Got Axel Coffee here. They've increased their prices recently and we've copped it. Yeah, and we've still gone back. Still gone back. So they have some type of advantage. Whether or not we'd take it forever is a different yeah. question. I think with this, like if the coffee went to ten dollars, we wouldn't go we there. would go somewhere else. Yeah. So there is a there's a point at which we would break as consumers and stop going to Axel if the prices kept increasing. Yeah. And you know, there are points where you, Axel will make a lot of money very quickly if it did that, but then it has to balance a long-term risk and reward. Yeah. I feel like most companies, so even an Apple iPhone, if they suddenly changed the price of an iPhone to $10,000, I wouldn't immediately, I don't think I would go and buy another one. No, you wouldn't. You'd, you'd keep with the old one. And that's what they yeah. did. And they've kind of, I think for most people, it's been pretty well accepted that they've kind of reached their pinnacle. Yeah. And that's why over the last three to four years, the business has had to evolve. And people, a lot of analysts were skeptical of this. I definitely wasn't. I was very happy to watch watch them do this. Is then they started charging for software. Yeah. And, and so, you're paying for the iCloud now and Apple Fitness so and the, the watch and the AirPods. So instead of increasing exponentially. That's the optionality that I mentioned before. Yeah. Once you go Mac, you never go back. And it's not because of the <laughs> hardware device. It's because of the iOS. Yeah. It's because of the software. And so, if they could then extend the software to other things, health, uh, fitness, to... Even Apple Pay. Like, Apple that's Pay. so much part of people's lives now. Subscriptions, music, you know, they can extend it beyond that original idea. That's an example of a company that has a very, very wide moat and then thought, how can we extend this moat that way and put another castle over there? Yeah. You know, how can we go this way and that way? And that's what they've done. They've done it very well. So they're kind of building lots of different castles within the same... Yeah, within the same fortified ring of iOS. Yeah. yeah. And same with Microsoft. Like Microsoft has done that now. For a very long time there, it didn't. When I was under Steve Ballmer, it didn't. But now with uh, Microsoft 365, like look at Excel. Everyone still uses damn Excel. Um, so many different products around the Microsoft ecosystem that is protected now. Um, and they, that's why even those these businesses might be trillion-dollar businesses. They could still grow. They might not grow as fast as they did in the 2000s, but they're still going to grow because if they're not growing, then they're the ones with all the power. So that means everyone around them ain't going to be growing yeah. if they're not growing. So. All right. Well, a lot for people to think about. I'll include a lot more of the resources because we only touched on things briefly today. Yep. And Owen's done episodes on moats before. and. Heaps. Did we do a deep dive into the Moat ETF? No, I don't think we have. I don't think we have. Maybe in the future. Yeah, maybe we can do it in the future if you're interested. Um, Otherwise, check out the Valley Investor Program. It's 499 bucks. I'm sure you can find a coupon code around somewhere. Um, but it's like everything in one. If you want the free option, check out the Investor Bootcamp, which comes with a Google Doc or my reading list. Some It's even got some um, like discount codes on other pieces of software and places that you can go and you can get data and stuff like yeah, that. a lot of tools in there. So if you are interested yeah. in taking your investing journey a bit further, the Australian Investors Podcast, Owen does two episodes a week on there. Yep. And if you've found a company that you think might have a pretty wide moat and you want to talk about it, jump into our RAS Core community and yeah. share it in the forum. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be publishing, going forward, I'm going to be publishing a lot more of my research in RAS Core. So um, that's exciting too, to get back to getting on the tools and finding these companies. So like Otis is one that I'm going to do a write-up on because I'm fascinated by the company. Yeah. It's 150 years old. 
We should go find growing. out who's uh, who our owns elevator. The in I doubt it's a notice. I feel like our elevator is like some botched job. But we could go do market research. Around we could go Melbourne. To, um, yeah. You could walk into most buildings in Melbourne yeah. and no one, a, no one checks. It'd be a Kone or a Otis, most likely. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll and do some all market the stock market. research all and get back market, to everyone. So. Yeah. Cool. Kate, as always, thanks for joining me on the Australian Finance Podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at risk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.